Up next, the murder of a funeral director. It just didn't make sense. Didn't ring clear at all. Cell phone records provided some important evidence. There was a whole lot more to this story than what was originally thought. But a homemade mask found near the scene indicated the victim and killer knew one another. I'm thinking we've messed something up somewhere. We've made a mistake. In the small town of Navasota, Texas, Lonnie Turner was an important figure. Lonnie was the owner, uh, operator of a local funeral home there in Navasota. He was a well-respected member of the, uh, the community at large. He would help the needy. I mean, if you didn't have money or you didn't have insurance to take care of a service, he would tote the note for you. A lot of times, he went unpaid. And Lonnie was one of the first African-American members of the city council and the school board. He broke down a lot of racial barriers. Good businessman, all-around good guy. One November night, shortly before midnight, Lonnie's son arrived home and discovered the light bulb had been unscrewed near the door on the back porch. He noticed the TV's on in the den, the lights are on, and he goes back to his dad's room. He saw lights on under his father's bedroom door, which was unusual for this time of night. So he looked inside. He noticed what appeared to be some blood on the wall. He saw that his father was there uh, in an area between the edge of the bed and the uh, bedroom wall. He gets scared, and he runs to his room, and he lifts up his mattress to get a gun. Then he ran outside and called police. In a panic, Lonnie Jr. got in his car and drove to the police station. When police arrived at the Turner's home a short time later, the victim's brother, Lawson, answered the door. Lawson said he'd just arrived, and when he got there, he hadn't seen his brother or his nephew, Lonnie Jr. And so he was going to stay with his brother overnight. He goes through the house, and he doesn't see Lonnie Sr. So he's thinking he's out on a call. So he was going to go ahead and get ready and, and get ready for bed because he had to get up the next morning. They took him out and treated him as if he may be uh, the shooter. Police found Lonnie Sr. dead on the floor of his bedroom, shot twice at close range. They found two spent 9mm shell casings. Police found no signs of forced entry. Nothing was stolen, even though... There was $7,000 in cash in a safe in an adjacent room. The safe was actually open. There were firearms all over the house, and none of those items seemed to have been touched. At the police station, the victim's son, Lonnie Jr., told police he had no idea who would have done this. Do you know anybody would want to hurt your dad? Or want to do something like this? Nobody? Nobody? There's enemies that, you know... 
But police were confused by the stories given by the victim's brother, Lawson, and by the victim's son, who'd left the scene after calling police. And those stories were about to get even stranger. Virtually everyone on the Navasota, Texas police force knew Lonnie Turner. He ran the town's most successful funeral home and was a civic leader. The crime scene gave every indication that Lonnie was in bed asleep, but woke up, saw he was in danger, and lifted his arm to protect himself. The first shot hit him in the forearm. As the shooting began, he had actually rolled to his left during the shooting and rolled completely off of the bed. The second shot hit him in the chest. Start looking at people that knew him or had a reason to kill him. Investigators were troubled by the movements of the victim's son, Lonnie Jr., and the victim's brother, Lawson, on the night of the murder. Lonnie Jr. said he came home, found his father injured in the bedroom, then grabbed his gun and cell phone, called police, and drove to the police station. By his own admission, Lonnie said he called police without even checking to see if his father was still alive. We started asking him, well, why didn't you go check on your dad? You know, was he still breathing? Uh, was he trying to say anything to you? And Lonnie didn't even do that. It just didn't make sense. It didn't ring clear at all. It was one of the strangest stories I've had from a murder suspect, and there have been some pretty strange stories. Even stranger was what happened next, shortly after Lonnie Jr. left, but before police arrived. The victim's brother, Lawson, claimed... He arrived from out of town and let himself into the house. He was going to stay with his brother overnight. Lawson was scheduled to referee college football in Houston the next day. When he heard no answer, he assumed his brother was out on a funeral call picking up a body. So when police arrived, he was completely unaware a crime had been committed. Lonnie Turner was killed with a 9mm weapon. Interestingly, Police found a 9mm Taurus handgun under Lonnie Jr.'s mattress in his bedroom. Bullets test-fired from that gun were compared to a bullet recovered from Lonnie Sr.'s body. I was able to determine that the questioned bullet from autopsy was fired in the submitted Taurus pistol. Fingerprints on that gun matched Lonnie Jr.'s. When questioned, Lonnie told police he wasn't surprised his 9mm gun was used as the murder weapon. He claimed the gun had been stolen two weeks earlier. We thought that that was kind of strange. He never reported that gun stolen to law enforcement. All of a sudden reappears underneath the mattress and in the house. Police performed a gunshot residue test on both the victim's brother, Lawson, and the victim's son, Lonnie Jr., Lawson tested negative. He also passed a polygraph. And he had no motive, no real reason for him to have shot his brother. But gunshot residue was found on Lonnie's hands. He said this probably happened because he grabbed his 38 caliber handgun for protection before calling police. 
To check Lonnie's alibi, investigators first had to estimate the time of his father's murder. We started checking to see who last spoke to Lonnie Sr. Uh, we determined that he's, he spoke to a female friend of his around 9.15. And when Lawson tried to call his brother, Lonnie Sr., around 10 p.m., there was no answer. So we believed the death to be between 9.15 and 10 o'clock. Lonnie Jr. said he had an alibi for the entire evening, including between 9.15 and 10 p.m. Lonnie claimed he was at a restaurant with his girlfriend, then went to his girlfriend's house. His presence was verified both at the restaurant, at his girlfriend's house, and he left his girlfriend's house somewhere around 9.40, 9.45 that night. And from there, he went to the local car wash. It appears that he, per his father's instructions, carried the Suburban to a car wash there and washed the Suburban. And we've actually had some witnesses that verified that information also. But Lonnie refused to take a polygraph. He was starting to feel the heat and knew he was a suspect at that point. The day after the murder, investigators found a potential clue. In a small creek just 50 yards from the Turner's home was a pair of gloves and what looked to be a mask cut from a felt bag. Masks are good objects to find DNA profiles on due to the fact that they're in close proximity to your skin and also in the mouth region, you get good profile from saliva. Police were convinced these items would identify the killer. Twenty-one-year-old Lonnie Turner Jr. and his father both lived and worked together. Lonnie Sr. was grooming his son to take over his funeral business. Lonnie Jr. was an only child. His parents separated when he was a teenager. According to friends, Lonnie Jr. didn't fit the mold of a funeral director. Lonnie Jr., very flashy, uh, flamboyant. Jr., he's the type of guy that... He liked nice things. There were a significant number of rumors that Lonnie Jr. was uh, selling embalming fluid on the street. When cigars and cigarettes laced with marijuana, or PCP, are dipped in embalming fluid, the effects are often intensified. The embalming fluid uh, was a rumor, and it remained a rumor. We were never able to confirm that that was a, that that was a fact. As the beneficiary of his father's estate, Lonnie Jr. stood to inherit the funeral home and all of his father's assets. I think Jr. saw the business as uh, sort of his cash cow, and it would be able to finance his lifestyle. DNA analyst Jennifer Watson examined the mask and gloves found 50 yards away from Lonnie Turner's home near a creek. Police believed they had been worn by the killer. She found epithelial cells around the holes for the eyes and mouth and was able to generate a DNA profile which she compared to Lonnie Jr.'s DNA. The results surprised everyone. The result was that Lonnie Turner Jr. was excluded as a contributor to that profile. The DNA from the mask was also compared to the victim's brother, Lawson, his DNA also did not match. 
In looking for other suspects, police knew one thing. The killer was familiar with the house and the family. Lonnie Sr. always left the back door open. We figured that somebody knew about the layout of the house, knew that the back door was unlocked. And there was only one other person who fit that profile. 19-year-old James White, Lonnie Sr.'s godson, who often helped out at the funeral home. Four months before the murder, James White was charged with stealing two of Lonnie Sr.'s personal checks. He made them out to himself for a total of $8,000 in cash and forged Lonnie Sr.'s signature. Sr. was mad at him for doing that and certainly felt betrayed, but he continued to uh, embrace White as a godson. But White apparently knew Lonnie Sr. kept cash in a bedroom safe. He also knew where Lonnie Jr. kept his guns. Lonnie Jr. loved showing off, especially that 9mm, because it was something special he bought for his 21st birthday. James White claimed he spent the entire night of the murder at a party with two friends. But they didn't corroborate this story. We confronted the friend, and he said, listen, James White just called me. He said, hey, lie to the police. Tell them that I was with you. This friend said he saw White that night, but not until 10.30 p.m., which gave White plenty of time to commit the murder. The prime suspect in the murder of Lonnie Turner Sr. was his godson, James White. White denied any involvement. So investigators compared White's DNA to the DNA found on the homemade mask found near the crime scene. James White's DNA was definitely on the mask, and with the amount of DNA that was present, it's likely that he wore that mask. When I was told that, I almost jumped out of my boots. Now James White changed his story. After several hours had passed, one of the people doing the interrogation threw in Lonnie Turner Jr.'s name, and it seemed to, like, turn on a switch in White. And that's when he started talking about how he had been set up. White now said that Lonnie Jr. hired him to kill his father. White said he went into Lonnie Sr.'s house and that Lonnie Jr. was with him. But he got cold feet and tried to back out. But Lonnie Jr. literally held a gun to his head and threatened to shoot him if he didn't go through with it. He said, put the glove on. I put the glove on, then he put the gun in my hand. And then like that, and I said, you want to shoot my daddy, I'm going to shoot you and me. I said, man, I can do this. He didn't have a gun, that cop. I guess he made some kind of noise with the gun and made me think he was going to go ahead and pull the trigger on me. So this happened two times. There was only one problem with this story. Lonnie Jr. had an alibi for the entire evening. He was at a restaurant, at his girlfriend's house, then at a car wash. While driving home, records indicate Lonnie Jr. was on his cell phone the entire time. 
James White never said Lonnie Jr. was on his cell phone while he was literally holding a gun to his head. If things were to have happened the way he said it, then Jr. would have had to been pointing a gun at his head while talking on the cell phone at the same time. The polygraph that was given to him came back inconclusive. James David White's not the sharpest crayon in a box. Um, and I didn't know how much of it was due to that um, or to deception. I just didn't know. Prosecutors believe James White needed money and knew Lonnie Turner Sr. kept cash inside his home. He also knew Lonnie Jr. kept guns under his bed. The evidence suggests White stole one of the guns, the 9mm, two weeks before the murder. Prosecutors believe the motive was burglary, which is why White wore a mask in the event he was seen. White unscrewed the light bulb on the porch, entered the house, and probably thought no one was home. When he opened the bedroom door, looking for valuables, he found that wasn't the case. One bullet entered Lonnie's forearm, and he tried to cover his face. The other hit him in the chest, killing him instantly. Prosecutors believe White panicked, left the money and valuables behind, but returned the gun to Lonnie Jr.'s bedroom. Then threw the mask and gloves in a nearby creek. But the mask still contained enough DNA to tie him to the scene. The other interesting element in this case was the family members' movements that night. Lonnie Jr. came home, found his father wounded in the bedroom, grabbed his gun and cell phone, called police, then drove to the police station. But before police arrived, his uncle Lawson entered the house since he planned to spend the night. When he heard no answer, he assumed his brother was out on business. And when police arrived, he was in the kitchen making a sandwich, completely unaware of the crime. James White's father, who was also the victim's best friend, remains convinced that Lonnie Jr. was involved. I think that it's fair for my son to be in prison for this murder because he said he pulled a trigger. But I would like to see Lonnie Jr. there also because my son didn't have anything to profit from this. The junior is the one who profit everything. In July of 2005, James White accepted a plea bargain, admitted his complicity in the crime, and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Without the forensic evidence, I don't think we'd be here today talking about this case. I, I honestly believe that if it hadn't been for that DNA profile uh, on that mask, we wouldn't have made it able to, to make a case. Prosecutors admit Lonnie Jr.'s story about what happened defies belief. But the alibi was what saved him. I think there are a lot of people today who still believe that he had something to do with his dad's death. And it has hurt his reputation, and it has certainly hurt the 
solid reputation that his father worked so hard to build for the family business. Lonnie Jr. wasn't there that night when his father was murdered. There's no question about that. The evidence clears that for me. It stands out because of the twists and turns. It took us some places that I think we really didn't anticipate when, uh, when we began the investigation.